Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining the Reframing Eye Care podcast. I am your host, Dr. Maria Sampolis. I have Dr. Uh, Leslie O'Dell and Rachel Crew from Virtual Field with us today. Thank you both for taking the time to join the podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, for our listeners uh, today, um, we're going to be talking about uh, Virtual Field and how it provides exceptional eye care experience uh, with virtual field, color vision, pupillometry exams, uh, and making it comfortable and patient-friendly uh, headset. So there is a growing demand for eye care, and so there is a shortage of ophthalmologists, and us as optometrists can really play a pivotal role in filling some of those medical needs and helping provide comprehensive uh, eye care for our patients. So this is the agenda for today and what we'll go through. And Dr. Odell is, uh, you know, our expert uh, for today's podcast to really go into all this agenda and, and give us some information on, on these as well. And, you know, Rachel, uh, who is the CEO of Virtual Field, to give us some information as well on how this company is a lot different than other uh, virtual headsets. Thank you. So 84% of the population uh, you know, is in the U.S. drives, so it's car accidents are the leading cause of, of death. How can optometry play a role in reducing uh, driving accidents? Well, you know, this one, I think, is sensitive for many of us because independence is often linked to your ability to drive. You know, that might look a little bit different for you having great access to public um, transportation, I'd assume, in New York. But, you know, sometimes in more rural parts of the country, being able to drive yourself to your doctor appointment or being able to drive yourself to a grocery store as you are visually impaired and oftentimes an older population of our patients, it, it can be pretty devastating if there isn't a support system for them. So um, what you want to know is really what your state laws mandate. Um, in some states, it mandates that if you know um, your patient should not be driving, that you are doing some of that reporting. In other states, it might be the physician that has to do that. Um, and sometimes it's a combination of these things. But usually there is some reporting that needs to be done and good, you know, good for us, um, visual field and peripheral vision is part of that. So I can only speak to what's happening in my state here in Pennsylvania, but in Pennsylvania, it's sort of a lottery over the age of 65 that um, patients will be selected randomly for a more thorough exam. And part of that is acuity measurement. It's also um, their peripheral vision. But instead of me just checking a box like they can count fingers, you know, peripherally because it doesn't really tell me what their degree truly is. You know, I offer up an Esterman uh, binocular visual field. And so that allows me to be able to confidently know what defects I'm dealing with, especially in patients maybe who have suffered a stroke in the past or maybe a glaucoma patient. Excellent. Um, can you give us a little more uh, information on the Esterman exam? So the Esterman um, exam often is not covered by major medical insurance. So it's a lot of times something that patients do elect to pay for out of pocket and you can set the fee appropriately in your practice. But it's um, it's the only binocular, I, I think, the only binocular visual field that we're running in practice. And so it's able to assess up to 130 degrees on the horizontal um, 
visual plane, or actually uh, over 130 degrees when you're considering the binocular range of that. And again, I don't only do this in my patients that are up for their driver's license renewal, or maybe there's been a question from a family member. I also use this test when I have a patient that unfortunately had a life change, like a, a stroke or something along those lines, so that I know how how much visual impairment they have suffered and is that going to impact their ability for independent driving in the future? Excellent. Can you give us some, you know, testing that you would do to ensure uh, efficient referral for oculoplastics? So oculoplastics, I think is, you know, really when you talk about, you know, what you spoke of at the beginning, that there is a, a need for eye care, um, there is such a shortage of certain specialties. And again, it's probably geographically limited as well. But for me, in my area, oculoplastics are hard to come by. My patients have to drive typically 40 minutes to an hour to get to a good oculoplastic surgeon or really to an oculoplastic surgeon. So anything I can do in my practice ahead of a referral is going to save my patient time, make the referral a smart referral, I guess. Like, um, and what I mean by that is, you know, nothing worse than sending a patient to an oculoplastic specialist and getting a letter back that says they have to treat their blepharitis and they're not going to have surgery or something along those lines, which I have seen a fair amount of times. So the visual field, when you're thinking about oculoplastics, really is a great step because you can send that along with any correspondence before your patient goes for their exam. So, for example, highlighting atosis, you can really show through superior visual field mapping, um, taped and untaped how severe the impairment is in that superior quadrant and if they were surgically enhanced you know by using tape or holding the lid up you can kind of simulate how much better their superior visual field will look and that kind of starts the conversation i think not only with my patient but also you know with the surgeon so they know what what they're dealing with even you know ahead of the patient encounter oh excellent so i want to transfer it over uh, well, here's the here's the image is that you were talking about there. And, you know, the other one I just wanted to to highlight is just thyroiditis disease, right? So, 2020 marked the first year that we had a therapeutic with um, Tepeza for being able to treat active thyroiditis disease, and I think you know they're looking toward chronic disease as well. But those patients really only. Um, we're able to have orbital decompression ahead of that medication. So we're talking about life-changing medicine. And again, for me, a lot of that gatekeeping is through my oculoplastics. But why a visual field in your thyroid eye disease patients isn't so much for EOM movements or double vision, right? It's really to allow you to know how well the optic nerve is performing. Because again, as the eye is shifting for forward, you worry about compression to the nerve. Rachel, can you speak on how virtual fields, particularly uh, VF3 Pro, aids in, in this protocol for oculoplastics and how it's important for eye tracking and in this context? Of course. So we have the Superior 36 exam on both our basic and pro models. The pro is an awesome experience, though, for anybody who is running the Superior 36 exam. Uh, the taping protocol aligns with the standard diagnostic procedure, but the pro's eye tracking feature, it actually has a camera, so it allows the doctor or technician to actively monitor the tape's placement in real time. You can make immediate observations, including whether patients are intentionally widening their eyes, potentially influencing test results. 
Excellent. Thank you. Go to the next slide here. So what's the difference, Dr. O'Dell, uh, and utilize it between the glaucoma suspect and the diagnosed patient? Well, I think really the, the point I wanted to make when we we're talking about glaucoma measurement is for doctors that are interested in starting more into medical optometry and really understanding the value of visual field testing. So visual field testing is very valuable, even in your glaucoma suspect. And that's because you can you know, really help build a good foundation for following a patient, but also feel confident that there is no vision impairment and those patients still are living in the suspect part of the disease or just at risk. Once you start, so, so typically those patients, I will annu annually or depends on my risk, um, my risk ratio, I guess. Um, sometimes I might do it even maybe once every two years, but typically I'm doing a visual field once a year on a glaucoma suspect. Um, but when I have the diagnosis of glaucoma, there's a couple things that I wanted to, to talk about with visual field testing. One is the ability to eventually have um, a probability map, something that's going to help you try to predict the future. Because remember, glaucoma is a lifelong disease. Once we make that diagnosis, we're on the journey with our patients for their lifetime. And we want to make sure that our treatments are setting them up for the best success that we can at, at protecting and preserving visual function over their lifetime. So having something that is a probability Mapping is very, very useful for me when I'm watching glaucoma long-term, but it, you don't get that initially, you know, with your first test. Usually you need to have three to five exams that then can start this system thinking ahead for you. Um, so sometimes I might do my glaucoma visual field testing on a three to six month interval. Um, now the tricky part with that is I might not be able to always bill for every one of those just because each insurance has their own standard of care. Typically six months to 12 months is what they're looking at. But the other thing I wanted to talk about was just the, the type of test that you're doing on a glaucoma patient. And that is the difference between a 24-2, which has really become our standard you know, our standard way of watching glaucoma progression, and then also the 10-2. So over the past maybe five or six years, a lot has come out around alternating these tests, especially if you have any central points on your 24-2. So even if you just have one box that's black or, you know, within that um, indices that is of concern, you want to bring that patient back and do a 10-2. And the reason is the, the degree of spacing is so different between those central points on a 24-2 and what you're getting when you're just focused on that central 10-2. Um, Excellent. So I want to ask Rachel, how does virtual uh, field support the progression of reporting glaucoma patients. So I think that's important for, for this, for the doctors listening on how this really differentiates it from other um, yep. equipment. Sure thing. So as you can see on the slide, we do offer progression anal analysis with a concise report generated from just two threshold exams in the same eye. And so this streamlined process and this report that gets generated automatically for you lets you closely monitor patients and make timely decisions in managing glaucoma. Well, right there, actually, Rachel, you um, 
highlighted something that's very unique if you say two exams, right? So yes. um, that definitely is a differentiator for sure. Yes. Thank you. So I want to pass it back to Dr. O'Dell here. Um, there's a lot of systemic diseases with patients that are put on Plaquenil. So what are some common um, you know, practices? How do they figure out the protocol for these patients? Well, again, a lot of this, you know, first of all, you're absolutely right. Plaquenil is a very commonly prescribed medication, oftentimes by rheumatology. Sometimes that might be by endocrinology or even um, primary care providers. But it runs the gamut of just inflammatory conditions to things that we kind of think of when we hear Plaquenil, which would maybe be lupus or rheumatoid arthritis. Um, this medication when tolerated well by patients and helping reduce symptoms is something that you will find your patients stay on for quite some time. So I have patients now that have been on Plaquenil for 20 plus years um, because it's been working better than some of the newer medications, or maybe they're trying to avoid biologics when it comes to controlling their systemic inflammation, but it's not without risk. And, you know, what's been really great to see is the alliance between these specialties outside of eye care with optometry, you know, and ophthalmology in referring patients to us for these screenings. So a lot of times what that looks like is um, rheumatology will send patients ahead of starting Plaquenil and want their baseline testing, which is typically fundus and autofluoresce photography, a baseline macular OCT, and then a 10-2 visual field. And then, um, then it's kind of dependent on dose. So this is a medication that is a um, quantitative effect on the body over years. So the longer a patient's using it, the more at risk we are for finding ocular findings. Typically, um, that risk is stronger beginning around seven years, depending on the weight of your patient and the dosage of your patient um, as well. But that doesn't mean that you screen them once and then you wait seven years. Typically, it's um, once a year in those first five years. And then I think it starts um, to happen around um, every six months. Usually you do need some kind of referral depending on medical insurance. It's easy to get. And again, because the specialties on the non-eye um, care side of things are very interested in this, it makes it easy to get the referrals. So I want to transfer it over now to, to Rachel and ask and ask like with the medication screenings, how does virtual field contribute to, you know, drug assessments for uh, systemic risks such as Plaquenil and what's its role in detecting, you know, toxicity? Sure. So virtual field does offer a 10-2 with a red stimulus and that provides a targeted examination of the central visual field. And this is particularly valuable for detecting optic toxicity associated with medications and contributing to the comprehensive evaluation that Dr. Odell was speaking about. So Dr. Odell, uh, we have a lot of patients that have you know, diabetes, macular degeneration. What role does uh, you know, virtual field test play with these patients? Well, I think it's interesting if you actually look at the CMS um, reasons why you would run a visual field, the, the list is quite extensive. And some of the reasons um, we might not have thought about, um, which one of which is macular edema, whether it's related to diabetic disease or maybe you're dealing with um, CME in a post-cataract patient. So first of all, you know, my first thing is it's 
it's supported, it's a billable thing that you can do. But more importantly, the data you're going to gain from, again, a central 10-2 in these patients is going to help you better understand the functional vision that your patients are, are experiencing. So letters on a chart are one way that we can measure functional vision. But what we're learning with things, you know, especially the big, um, the big developments that we've had over the course of the past year with uh, measurements of geographic atrophy, new treatments that have come into that space, you know, measuring acuity on a patient with geographic atrophy is not really that helpful um, because they could completely miss the center letters and gain le and see the letters on either side of central. And you might think, oh, I, I still think that patient sees 2040 without realizing that they have a giant scotoma right in the middle, right? Because you can't really see that. When you map out a 10-2 on a patient with, with GA or macular edema, for whatever reason, um, the edema is caused by, you get a better idea of what's the visual function, you know, and it's kind of a, an addition to what you're doing with your acuity measurement. And I think what you can do is see how it may improve as you maybe partner with a retina specialist and start treatment, especially on diabetic macular edema, for example, and, and see if you regain visual function as you would anticipate. So kind of switching over to the neural aspect, um, migraines are very common. Um, what workup would you recommend for this type of patient? I, I usually run a field, but what is your protocol? So I do too. And what I really love about, you know, what virtual field has to offer is the other things that really matter to me when I'm looking at a migraine patient is pupil measurement. So I really want to know that I have a very accurate pupil measurement and pupillometry. I've, I've used pupillometry before in some clinical research, really looking at dilation reversal. And it's amazing how much more accurate the measurements are when you're using pupillometry versus your pen light and, you know, you're holding up your little card to see, okay, this is, you know, a a six or a four or whatever your measurement is. So pupils matter. Sometimes that's because in a migraine patient, you could, you could at times see a spontaneous dilation of just one pupil. And obviously unilateral pupil dilation on a patient is a cause for alarm, you know, when that enters into our practice. So again, knowing what your baseline measurements are, super valuable for being able to monitor a patient over time. I also really like having color vision on my migraine patients because it helps me know not only macular health, but what the optic nerve health is. And so oftentimes if I you know, have a color deficit, I know, again, that's my first tip off to really be paying attention again to the pupil measurement and then ultimately the visual field when I'm thinking things, not just migraine, but in the neurospace. But but visual field is so important. And, you know, the reason why is because migraines have that hallmark for causing peripheral vision complications, whether it's the scintillating scotoma, sometimes it could be almost like a hemianopsia, but it's super alarming for patients when they have that. And to be able to give them peace of mind, um, because oftentimes it does restore to normal, is, is also good just for helping them feel a little bit less angst around that condition. So I want to uh, ask Rachel here, how can you elaborate on like, can you elaborate on, you know, current experience with virtual field and what it offers? Sure. So what we see here is all of the different exams that we offer and the CPT codes. But at virtual field, we, we really think about what we offer 
uh, even more elevated than this as an experience where we put the doctor, patient, and technician, in, keep them in mind and put them first. Uh, so we are proven. Virtual field was the first virtual reality visual field technology on the market, and we've been on the market since 2018. Um, and our doctors have actually just completed over 1 million exams. So that's a very exciting milestone for us. Everything is comfortable, intentionally designed with the patient and the provider in mind, easy to use. Uh, we're also very caring. Uh, we support eye care teams every step of the way. Our customers receive a free onboarding call and ongoing email and phone support with live agents. And then we're really innovative and we like to build based on customer and market feedback. So, you know, open, open to people's feedback. We're always adding new exams like the kinetic visual field Goldman exam we just added into our pro package. Um, so, you know, whether you're running a visual field exam or viewing reports or another type of eye care exam, um, we're really here for you every step of the way. And we do offer a free 30 day trial that you can sign up for on our website at virtualfield.io. Uh, so feel free to sign up there um, or sign up for a demo and ask the team any questions. Excellent. So for those of you that have questions, um, you can refer here um, to this email um, or call virtual field. Um, I just wanted to, I also just wanted to say one last thing um, myself, M Maria, before you wrap up, I wanted to say how, you know, remember the days when you were in, you know, school as a student and, you know, your job was running visual fields. Like you spent your day in the dark, you know, running visual fields on patients that sometimes took a very long time to even walk down the hallway to get into the closet that the visual field machine was housed in. You know, it's amazing to see these headsets and also really just the patient adoption to them. You know, patients that have not really ever been in a virtual reality setting that are able to adapt easily. Um, so it takes so much stress off of the clinic, the staff, because it can be done anywhere. It doesn't have to be done in the dark. And it really allows us to really as medical optometrists really utilize the value of a visual field. You know, when I'm running visual fields, sometimes I will say to patients, this is my first step in figuring out, you know, what else we need to do. Sometimes I will call it the MRI of the eye exam because it helps me know how your visual system is communicating with your brain. And so I'm really just excited that with ease of use, we're going to continue to see this, this testing just grow and grow within our practices. No, it's been a great addition to my practice. I have it in my office. Um, my staff has been very open to it. Patients see it as a wow factor. Um, and it's been a great way to also multitask if we have to do a field and not have a lot of space. And I think a lot of doctors are, are struggling with space requirements and things like that. And I think that's been a, a great way as well um, to, to incorporate into the practice. So, And it's very affordable. Uh, that's one of the things too that you know I thought was I have great technology, but it, you know, it's also something that we can incorporate without a big investment. So um, that was, that was a really um, important factor for my practice. So I want to thank you both, Dr. Uh, Odell and, and Rachel, uh, the CEO of Virtual Field for coming on, for taking the time to giving some information. Um, if anyone has, again, any questions, please email sales at virtualfield.io or you can call them. Um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having us. Appreciate it.